Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Adventures in Angular. I'm your host, Charles Maxwood, and this week we're talking to Freddy Montes. I hope I uh, Spanishized that enough. <laughs> now, Freddy, you're a coast. You, no, you said you were a Venezuelan developer living in Costa Rica, and you work on Angular. You work for .CMS, front-end developer. Of course, you said just a front-end developer, but I always find that there's more to the story than just that when I get to talk to people. And yeah, I ran across this article where you were talking about managing Angular state and your components. And usually when people think about that stuff, they're thinking, oh, okay, I'm going to go and I'm just going to use NGRX and blah, 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 blah. And then I use the word overkill and I offend people. And so we'll dive in and we'll talk about that. But before we do that, I'm kind of curious what your journey into Angular was. Like, how did you get into Angular? And then we can kind of start talking about state and Angular and all that stuff. Yeah. So I got into Angular kind of by accident. A few years ago uh, in .CMS, we were trying to figure it out how to redo the UI of the backend. And we were trying to figure it out which technology was the best for our use case. I was proposing React at that point. Oh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. And and my boss was like, oh, we need to use Angular, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm okay with, with both. I was a little bit concerned with, with the technical learning curve at that point. Mm -hmm. But then we got some help with a, from a contractor that supposedly to have a lot of a lot of information about Angular. At that point, I'm talking about Angular was in like alpha something, right? It wasn't even released mm -hmm. yet. It's not even close to be released. So we decided to go with Angular. The contractor basically did most of the job, like everything, and I keep working in other stuff. I wasn't working enough in Angular, but at some point the, the contractor had to leave and they literally just put the, the project in my lap, like just, just like that. And I have to oh, learn wow. it from, from like, I don't know anything into, okay, here's a full blown project that is has a lot of everything. So I kind of learned while just doing. I didn't have enough chance to like, oh, let me build this little app first. I didn't have that. But after I kind of like, I feel like Angular, you have to click with it somehow, mm -hmm. like put your, your head around it. After you do that, everything is fairly, fairly easy to do. Right. I remember working my tail off to become a senior developer. I read every book I could get my hands on. I went to any conference I could and watched the videos about the things that I thought I needed to learn. And eventually I got that senior developer job. And then I realized that the rest of my career looked just like where I was now. I mean, where was the rush I got from learning? What was I supposed to do to keep growing? And then I found it. I got the chance to mentor some developers. I started a podcast and helped many more developers. I did screencasts and helped even more developers. I kind of became a dev hero. And now I want to help you become one too. And if you're looking forward to something more than doing the same thing at a different job three years from now, then join the Dev Heroes Accelerator. I'll walk you through the process of building and growing a following and finding people that you can uniquely help as you build the next stage of your career. You can learn more at devheroesaccelerator.com. Yeah, it's funny because that's how I learn. Like, I'll go buy a course and I'll get about halfway through it. And then I'm like, okay, I'm dangerous now. And then I'll just go and fiddle with it. And Well, the documentation of Angular is so good. It's really good. I don't think, yeah, I don't think that a course will do better than the real documentation. Yeah. Every time someone asks me like, oh, I want to learn Angular, what, what course I should go? And I just go to the their documentation and try to do the <laughs> hero's tutorial. 
in that yep. shape. Yep, absolutely. So, so yes, yeah, so you get in, you're kind of figuring this stuff out sort of on your own. You know, what point did you feel like you were, I guess, kind of proficient at this? So at that point, I really understand how, how components work, like mm-hmm. components on the sense of UI components not related to any frameworks. So that kind of gave right. me a really nice idea. Okay, cool. I need to build components. I need to make sure how it works. But for one of the pain points was understand this concept of smart components and dumb components or container components, you know, mm-hmm. UI components. That thing, because when I get the, um, the project, everything was smart, right? And we have components right. that do fetch, that do HTTP requests everywhere, that handle a bunch of inputs and outputs. And we kind of follow the same pattern. But at some points, when we, the app keeps growing and growing, it was getting messier and messier. And if we use components, we're getting harder and harder. So at some points, I was like, we need to stop this and we need to find a, a better way. I mean, it, it doesn't have to be this way. There should be something. And we mm-hmm. start reading about and we find this post and these articles about smart components, dumb components, or container components. And we start shifting into that route and mm-hmm. things start getting a little bit easier, definitely. Awesome. Uh, the other kind of thing that I think everyone struggles about the first time they, they touch Angular coming from a, a front-end developer perspective is RxJS. But then after you kind of wrap your head around the that pops up or observable pattern, whatever you want to call it, is just very easy. Yep, absolutely. So how long have you been doing Angular at this point? For like four years. Okay, good deal. And I guess now we're going to kind of transition toward the, the state conversation. What prompted you to write this blog post? So besides not having container components or separation of components, we didn't have a stage, a state management system in place in the app, mm-hmm. right? We just roll with I we were basically inherited from. And we were building new features, stuff like that. We were handling we were handling their states with just properties, like mm-hmm. you know, not caring about too much. But at some point we have to create a page builder mm-hmm. and that have a lot of state and a lot of moving parts. And we just try to build it as we were we were just doing it with properties and service and stuff like that. But the the UI keeps keeps getting out of sync all the time. And there wasn't a, a easier, and you, you didn't know where where it was getting out of sync from. It was really hard to to track what's going on in the whole thing. And at that point, we're like, I mean, we need to find a stage a state management system. This definitely not. This is not going to scale. We're gonna run into so much problems. And the first thing was what everybody does, right? I mean, NGRX. Like everyone is right. like, okay, we need to put NGRX on this, but it's it's not. When you're working on a team, you 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 gotta make sure that everybody on the team is on board with whatever library you're going to put in, especially if it's something that big as NGRX or as important as state state management in an app. Mm-hmm. So at that point, we're like, oh, this is too much work. This is too much boilerplate. We're just doing this for the page builder. They have to be something else. And we start looking around, and this there is this approach to handle the state that it's called like push-based architecture. The idea behind it is that instead of just just asking data from the services, you just subscribe to one observable and you let the service to handle the state, basically. And you just subscribe to, to an observable that is your state inside your component. And everything that happens to change that state happens inside the, the service. So we took right. that approach where we build the, the, the services ourselves. We use, you know, reply subject or subjects, uh, behavior subject, all those sort of things. 
And that basically gave us a really good page builder. We were able to handle in the state in one place, one source of truth, and everything went well. So at that point, we kind of built our own component store without knowing that component story was coming out. It was before component store. Um, okay, I want to stop you here for just a second because, I mean, I've kind of gone down this same road a little bit. I mean, I'm, I'm not as experienced as you are with Angular, but I've gone down this road with React. I've gone down this road with, with Angular. And yeah, I mean, you get to a certain point because, yeah, your, your natural inclination is to do what you started out doing, right? Where you're, you're passing props through and you, you have things propagate back up when you, when you have events. And then, you know, state kind of just flows back down as it needs to. And that works up to a certain point. And then, yeah, things kind of get complicated enough. There's enough moving and everything has to notify everything else to where, yeah, you get complicated. And yeah, I re- I've reached for the Redux. I've reached for the NGRX. And yeah, it gets complicated. And that's why I use the term overkill sometimes when I'm going, because yeah, it got way complicated, way fast. And it's like, there's all this overhead and it's like, okay, how much of this am I doing to just get NGRX or Redux or something else to work versus actually getting what I need out of this tool. And so I guess I'm getting a little bit lost at this point though, in how you're implementing your observables in order to get this to work. No, at the end, what we did was one service. We we want uh-huh. we did one very specific service just okay. to handle the state of the page of the page builder and the page builder okay. components. It was just one big container component that just handled all the children. Oh, and interesting. That component was was subscribed to just one observable, and every mm-hmm. time that observable state, it was just an object, right? Mm-hmm. And every time that object change, it just gets propagated all the way down to all the children. Before that, every children have their own little object and try to change, but they also have to change parts on the parent's object. And right. that, when we start getting basically lost and getting a lot of UI inconsistency and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. So, so how does that work? I'm trying to kind of envision this. So, so it's basically, let me give you an example. So you create a service, right? A regular service, just right. an injectable. As, and mm-hmm. basically that service is just have an object. You create an interface for that object. And so let's say you have a button and you know a list of elements. So that state or that object will have an array and maybe a loading state, right? right. And then in your component, and then you export one observable with that interface, right? And mm-hmm. then in your parent component, you just subscribe to that observable. That's it. That's what you do. And then when you subscribe, you use a sync pipe and you just take the data and just pass it down to props. Like if you have a table listing component, you pass the array to the table listing component, right? And then if you you have like a button to reload the data, when you click the button in the container component, instead of just like calling the service and subscribe and wait for the response and change the list, you just call a method inside the service that you created. You just call it right? Mm-hmm. That method will be in charge to go to the HTTP request and update the state inside that mm-hmm. service. And okay. that state, once you upgrade it, you do, uh, when, once you update it, you do a next and it will propagate, it will, the subscribe on the component will be updated. We're, we're getting new fetch, fetch data. Okay. So that is basically push-based architecture. It's, it's instead of the component asking for the data, he just said, mm-hmm. okay, load data, and I'm just going to wait. And inside the service, you do whatever you need to do to get the data, transform it, filter it, whatever, and then you just send it back down to through the observable. Gotcha. And so then once 
so so each component then is subscribed to the observable that points back to the big thing yeah, in the sky. Yeah, the idea is having just one container component subscribed, right? And then that component will pass down the uh, pieces right. of the state to their children. I got you. Okay. And you make sure that those children are just UI components or dumb components that they mm -hmm. just are waiting for data. They're not doing anything right. else, you know, just waiting. Right. So as soon as that data changes, then they just update themselves. The whole tree, the whole tree. Yeah. And right. since you're using a sync, since you're using a sync pipe in the right. top mm -hmm. level component, you don't have to care about unsubscribe. You don't have to care about change detection or anything. Right. Right. Because that's all just built in. Just, just angular nature. Yep. Right. So as soon as the state changes, everything just goes and you're done. That's right. Yep. That's really slick. Yeah. That was the idea behind this because we have this option or we have the oh we have the other option that was like, okay, let's put NGRX in and let's start doing, you know, reducers mm -hmm. and actions and all those. Right. And it's yeah. a lot. I mean, it's a lot. And, and also I was concerned that I had some experience on Redux and Flux, like Flux way, way old ancient times. Mm -hmm. But the other, my other team members, they didn't have too much experience with it. And I was like, this is going to definitely reduce my team speed. And oh, yeah. We didn't have the chance. I mean, I didn't have the, the luxury of, of doing that at that point. Right. So I guess, is this a pattern that you had seen somewhere else? Or is this something you just kind of iterated to, to the point where you found something that worked? I, I saw a couple of posts about that. Mm -hmm. But I, I never, I mean, like, for example, if you go to the Angular documentation, even though it's really good, their approach is like your component is need to ask data from a service and subscribe right. to it and update their properties. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's it. They don't tell you that there is this other way. Some smart people just start writing posts about it. And I keep seeing those. It's like, this looks interesting, but it's so different than the Angular documentation proposed that I was a little scared to use it. I was like, this is kind of, I thought at first it was kind of like an experiment. So I was like, mm, I don't know if this, this is, you know, really Angular recommended, blah, blah, blah. But then I just tested. And when I tested, it feels so good. And also it was easier to test. Your, your unit testing in Angular get easier because your components is just rendered differently depending on the stage you pass to it. And there was just to assert for HTML elements based on the state and you can change it. And then you test all the, all the HTTP requests in the service. It feels, for, for me, it feels more natural. Yeah, that, it does. It feels very natural. It's just not something that I think I would have necessarily come up with on my own, but it feels so elegant. Yeah, I didn't come up with my own either. I just started Googling yeah. around and trying to ask people working in, in bigger Angular apps that face uh, similar problems. And they said, yeah, you got to go push base. You got to go push base. And then what happened was, I was, I was listening to Juan Herrera. He's a Google developer expert. And he was talking in an Angular conference, not conference, a meetup in, in Colombia. And I was hearing him. And he said something like, 80% of the Angular apps don't need NGRX. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, I kind of, I, I was like, I've been thinking this for the past two years, but I wasn't right. feeling really secure saying that because people normally when you said something like that i mean that goes against the the norm establishment for saying everybody's like no let me prove you why you're wrong blah 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 blah, blah. and i didn't <laughs> want to say anything because i'm not like i don't i don't like just fighting in twitter over technology at all so 
So I was like, nah, I'm just gonna try to try to do what's best for me. Right. And when I hear him, which is he's a Google developer expert, he's been doing Angular for more time than me. And he probably do Angular with bigger apps than me. I was like, okay, so I'm not crazy. I'm right. So I start Googling around again. And turns out that the AngularX people, the same people that create the state management library that everyone's pretty much everyone use, they create a second library that is called component store. Uh-huh. Right. Yep. And I start okay. And I was like, okay, this is interesting. Let me see this. So they have two libraries. They have NGRX store and NGRX component store. Right. Right. So they're they're similar, but they attack two different problems, right? The NGRX store, which is the one that everyone uses all the time, it goes through your global state. So if mm-hmm. you have a big app that has like a user information on the top bar. And right. on the left, you have to keep your menu on sync, blah, blah, blah. You can you can use component, you can use the store, right? Let's call it the global yep. store. But if you have a big component that have their own state, and, and that state, it's going away when you change your URL, what they recommend is you use component store. Right. So that that's basically what they're saying. And what component store does is what I did manually, they did they create a library on top of that. You create a service extending the service that they create in the component store. And you have three components here. You have three methods. You have select, which basically allows you to select pieces of your state. You Mm -hmm. have update method to update your state. And you have an effect method that basically what you do is it updates your state, but you do something before that to update your state. For example, an HTTP request. So those three main components, it's basically what I was doing in my handcrafted service to manage the state. So I was like, okay, this is what I did, but these guys are way smarter than me. It was like a team of three people and they were working really nice, really, really good, really hard on the library. So I started testing around. I reached to them on Twitter. They were really responsive and I just started using and it works flawless. So for, yeah, from my point of view, if you're like me and you have a big app that you don't have a state management library, instead of just jumping to NGRX, reduce your actions, everything, you should first try to handle your state locally in the component. And then when you really, after you do that, you're going to notice, oh, this is what I need, or no, I need a level up, a global, a more global component. Then you start looking into NGRX uh, store. So that's kind of my, my recommendation and my takeoff of this. And I talk with these guys over Twitter. They review mm-hmm. my post on in-depth. So they were there. I mean, they created the RX store. They, they definitely know that it wasn't, I'm not going to say enough, but it was probably way more that most apps really need. Yeah, it makes total sense. So have you moved your app over to the component store component or have store. you? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, nice. we, we did that. We just moved everything. Recently, we have to create the feature of creating editing templates. Mm-hmm. And we use component store from scratch. And it was like super easy. Everyone understand it. They understand. I mean, they have to read a couple of posts about push-based architecture just to wrap their head around it. But they were able to do co-review, ask me questions because I was in charge of implementing the first version of it. We right. had like a, like a meeting 
and I, I answer their questions and everything. And recently, we had to create another app to handle the CDN. And since we established that we need to handle the state with using Component Store, one of the developers took the job, but he just do it. He didn't, you know, had a lot of problems with it. Awesome. So what's next for you as far as exploring state within an Angular application? Well, at this point, in my main Angular app, I mean, the app that I develop every day, we're, we're at a point where, where every, we call it portlet, but it's basically every section, it's easy, easier to handle with component store. We don't have a big global state, right? We don't have to handle too much on the global state. So for now, mm-hmm. we're going to stick to component store until we realize that we need a global store. But for, right. for now, it's more than enough for what we're doing. I got gotcha. you. We haven't found a wall that says, oh, you got to go through the global store now. We haven't get there yet. Makes sense. Have you ever wondered if you could be offering a faster, less buggy experience for your customers? I mean, let's face it. The only way you're going to know that is by actually running it on production. So go figure it out, right? You run it on production, but you need something plugged in so that you can find out where those issues are, where it's slowing down, where it's having bugs. You just, you need something like that there. And Raygun is awesome at this. They they just added the performance monitoring, which is really slick and it works like a breeze. I, I just, I love it. I love it. It's like, it's like you get the ray gun and you zap the bugs. It's anyway, definitely go check it out. It's going to save you a ton of time, a ton of money, a ton of sanity. I mean, let's face it. Grepping through logs is no fun. And having people not able to tell you that it's too slow because they got sidetracked into Twitter is also not fun. So go check out Raygun. They are definitely going to help you out. There are thousands of customer-centric, customer-focused software companies who use Raygun every day to deliver great experiences for their customers. And if you go to Raygun and you use our link, you can get a 14-day free trial. So you can go check that out at adventuresinangular.com slash Raygun. Do you have any recommendations for people who are trying to implement or pull in the component store? Is it pretty yeah. simple or is, are there gotchas that people run into? There, there's some gotchas, but more than gotchas, it's like because you're changing the shift of how you build components, mm-hmm. it's kind of like a little bit hard. But basically, when you create a, a component store service, it's one-to-one to the component, right? It's not okay. like you're going to reuse that, that service in another component. It's literally one-to-one. In fact, you have to put it in the provider's array inside the components, right? Because you want to create an mm-hmm. instance just for that component. So that's important to understand. And the other thing that you need to understand is like all the logic is going to, to your component store, right? So your component will only subscribe to some data and that's it. It doesn't have to do anything else. All the logic of the HTTP request you have to do or, and on, you know, and if you're subscribed to like WebSocket events or something like that, you're subscribed on the service. And mm-hmm. all those events that change the state, that state change in the service, and it just gets propagated to the component. So your component, your container component, ends to be just a dumb component subscribed to a server. It doesn't do anything else. So make sure that you understand that your component now is not going to do, it's not going to do anything. Just subscribe to some data and using a sync pipe. That's it. 
That's your whole idea behind it. If you feel like, oh, I need to add this service into this component, into the component, you're probably doing it wrong. Right. right? It goes in the other service. I will say just try with little experiments first mm-hmm. before jumping to it. And also, I think that I, I one of the problems that I saw while I was trying to implement this on my team, it was like they they didn't understand that every time you create a property in your component that is going to render in the HTML, or maybe even it doesn't render in the HTML, that's a state. That's right. a state of your component because that's going to change on the life cycle of the component. And mm-hmm. I see a lot of people that don't see it that way. They say, no, it's just a property that I need to print out in the HTML. Yeah, exactly. That's your state. Yeah. Even if it's just mm-hmm. one property, is that a state. I guess because the way Redux and, Flo- and Flux work, people think that states are just objects. And they're not. It could be anything. Yeah, absolutely. How does this affect testing? Does it make the components okay. easier to test or harder to test? It's easier because your component now is attached to one service right? Mm-hmm. Just one service. So your component is just rendering data, right? right? So what you can do is you you can mock, when you're testing, you can mock your store component. Sorry, your store, it's called a store, because component store, but it's your service, you just mock it and you mock the response of it, right? So you don't have to care about doing extra requests or mocking HTTP requests or anything. You just mock the state and you to test your component, you have to make sure that, okay, so the state is true, false, one, two, three, and that should render mm-hmm. inside my component this element with one, two, three, this other element with, you know, true. When it's false, mm-hmm. it doesn't render. So you just, you just assert HTML, make sure that oh, you're passing okay. the props down and stuff like that. On the on testing the components, it gets easier. On testing the service, it's kind of get, I'm not going to say hard, but you got to make sure that the, the idea behind this testing is testing the services. Okay, you have to make sure that if your if your store fetch data from another service, so you have to mm-hmm. test that, that that service gets called. And then you have to mock the response. And then with that response, you have to assert that the state, that the newest state is where it's supposed to be, depending on the response of the right. of the of the other service. So it's just asserting that the object of the state change based on the responses of other services, right? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I'm just trying to think through any other implications. I mean, the only other thing I'm thinking of is like look and feel and styling, but it seems like you can dynamically add and remove classes just like you normally would in a component. So it's it's straightforward and your behaviors are all managed and you can manage those based on the state that you have in there. So... Yeah, in fact, the whole idea is if you have a big component, you use NG container to wrap everything. You you async, you ng if and async on the top level of the ng uh-huh. container, and then you get a static property that you can print out inside and all the other elements HTML that you have to use. So you don't even have to care to subscribe multiple times. You, you just subscribe once using a sync pipe and, and mm-hmm. that's it. The component is just going to sit there waiting for new data data to come in. Right. Angular change detection will take care of everything. That sounds so slick. Even That's in so... performance level, it's way way better. Oh, really? Is um, it that much? Is it that much more performant? Because yeah, because you just have to subscribe to once. Uh huh. And once that change, everything in the tree change, right? I mean, if if everything in the tree right. change, right? Because 
if the object is some in, inner elements or inner properties of the object doesn't change that you're passing to a specific components inside as shells of your component, those are not going to trigger the re-render. Right. So they can just change specific parts of the of the element. I mean, the thing is that it's, it's super weird the first time you get into it, but once you get into it and you do your first one, you're like, why haven't been done this since day one? It doesn't make sense to do it the other <laughs> way around. Yeah, it's literally like that. Uh-huh, yeah. Because you always, you always hear people saying, like, your component needs to be simple, your component needs to have, make sure that it's small, blah, blah, blah. But then when you have, okay, cool, I can do a small components. But at some point, you're like, okay, all these small components are going to be inside this big component that right. juggling 20 of them. All these mm -hmm. small components have two or three inputs, two or three outputs. And then when you have 10 of them, you have to handle 30 inputs and outputs in just one right. component. And that component is the component that gets really tricky to handle. Mm -hmm. right? That big yep. component, that parent component that wrap all the other small children. And that is the component that you create the store for. Right. And so you create the store for that. I'm still kind of trying to wrap my head around why that would be more performant than maybe using NGRX or some of these other stores, but or even just using properties. But I guess at the end of the day, yeah, it, it just propagates down. You don't have to do any of the work. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Maybe you, I don't know if you found this issue where you kind of like in the NG on init, you subscribe to a to the method of a service. And you want to use mm -hmm. a sync pipe, so you create an observable property in your in your component, and then you pass that property in the HTML. But then at some point you want you need to update that data. So how do mm -hmm. you do that? And you, I see people that what it does is it reassigns the observable to the same property inside a method. Oh, okay. Right. Are you seeing that you avoid completely that here? Right. Like that 100%. makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna have to go play with this and just kind of get my head around it a little bit further, I guess. Yeah, there are several um, YouTube videos about it. You just Google component store. There are mm -hmm. like four or five where Alex, the creator, explained everything way better than me and shows you how to do it. Yeah. Alex is a terrific guy too. It is. All right, cool. Was well, there anything else that we should go into on this? I mean, we've kind of covered testing and most of the other areas related to this. Let me see. I love that it's so simple. Yeah. So you got to make sure that you define your state correctly. Right. I mean, it doesn't necessarily whatever it's coming from your servers, from mm -hmm. your servers, turns into be the state. So you got to make sure that you define the interface of the state in an easier way for you to render. Right. So that's kind of like and then when the data comes from the server, you just map it, filter it, do whatever you need to do to turn it into the, the state object you want to use. That's one thing I've been hearing. The other thing that I heard that I that these guys recommended me was not using booleans for loading. So not using like, is loading true, is loading false, blah, blah, blah. They say that you can use an enum that have like three states, like init, loading, and loaded. Yeah, there is there is a whole article about that. I don't have that on my, on my hand right now, but it explained really good how it works and why it's worked better like this. And then, because like when you load the page the first time, your, 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 first, your first idea will be, oh, it's loading. Right, so I, I load the page in the browser and it's quote unquote loading. But right. It's not loading, it's just in it, right? Mm -hmm. You haven't loaded the first time. Loading is when you're loading second batches of data. Okay. So that's kind of the, the, the idea behind this. So you have like an in state, like, okay, how mm -hmm. do my, how this 
page looks like when I'm in the init state, when no data, it's been loaded, not even the first time. Right. So that's kind of the idea of this. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. You can have as many selectors as you want. So you can have a big state, right? Uh -huh. Like you have a bunch of properties, but then you want to pick and, you know, literally use the pick, the plug operator at HAS to just select mm -hmm. specific parts of it that you can then pass down to the component. That makes a lot of sense because then you're not passing this giant data structure. Yeah. You're, you're telling they, it just the parts it cares about. Yeah, you can just part, you can just pick uh, very specific, mm -hmm. very specific parts to it. To update the state, you just use a spread operator, exactly the same way you do with Redux. Mm -hmm. No big deal there. And make sure that when you need to do something before update the state, make sure you use an effect. Because the effect allows you to pipe all the all those requests, and then at the end you do the the state update. Yeah, that's pretty much it. It's it's not it's not a huge it's not a huge thing that you have to mm -hmm. implement. Right? It's not like if if we were talking just about NGRX store and not component store, we'll probably have to be here two hours just trying to <laughs> explain all the concepts behind it. These are just three right. concepts, and you're good to go. Yep. Yeah, and I think I think that's mostly my aversion to NGRX is that I think there's a place for it, but yeah, it's just all the mental overhead to it, and and I like that this is something that I can kind of get my head around in a half hours, basically how long we've been talking about it. Yeah, I mean the boilerplate behind NGRX stories is is a lot a lot to take. Yeah, in. yep, it is cool. Hey folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. Well, the last segment of this show is picks, and that's essentially just shout outs about stuff that we like that we want to call out. I'm going to throw out a few picks, and then I'll give you a turn so you can shout out about stuff that you like. A couple of things that I want to throw out there really quickly. So one of them, one of the things that I've been working on lately for devchat.tv is uh, premium podcast feeds. And so I know some folks don't particularly like having ads in the shows. And so I'm giving folks the option of subscribing to premium feeds that don't have the ads in them. And then I'm also working on putting together some premium shows that don't have ads in them either, right? So you just pay outright. And the only way to get them is to pay for them, right? The one that I'm working on right now is an audio dot an audio diary where I just kind of sit, talk about what I'm working on for devchat.tv. And then you can just kind of keep tabs for the people that are kind of super fans of the the shows. Right. And so it's like, Hey, this is what I'm working on. And this is what I'm doing and stuff like that. The tools that I'm using for that, I'm just going to put them out there. I don't know how many people are going to be super interested in it, but I'm using hero.fm to host the feeds and I'm using Thrivecart as the shopping cart. And then I'm tying it all together with Zapier, zapier.com. And I've, I'm, it, it's working out pretty well so far. I'm pretty happy with it. And uh, yeah, that's all coming together. You can go to devchat.tv slash premium to get the, the shows, the feeds. The premium feeds are all $10 a month and you can go pick those up. But yeah, so if you don't want the ads, that's how you do it. And then I've also been training for a marathon. I'm going to be running a marathon in about a month and that's going to be here in Utah Valley. I live in Utah Valley, so it's not that far from here where I'm going to be running it. And anyway, I'm pretty excited about it. I've been following a program that I bought on Training Peaks. And so you can go to trainingpeaks.com. 
I, I have been paying for the subscription plan on there. And what that does is it just allows you to pull the training programs in and then rearrange them. And it syncs up with my Garmin watch, which I use to kind of do the pacing and stuff like that. And so all I have to do is go in and select training, select my workouts, tell it which one I'm doing, and I'm good to go, right? I, I just go run it. And it's, it's really nice. The weather's been nice lately. As long as I take my allergy pills, running outside is terrific. And so I've been really, really happy with that. And I'm, I'm really excited to, to go out there. This will be my second marathon. 26 miles is a long way to run. But uh, it is. anyway, it it's, is. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun. Have you run a marathon? I can barely do f- no, never. I can barely do three miles. <laughs> <laughs> that's, kind of my, that's kind of my end goal. Okay, like I'm doing three miles. I'm good right now. Yeah, that's my ultimate, super nice. My ultimate goal is to do an Ironman. So that's um, like 100 miles, right? An Ironman is 140 miles. It's what? It's 20, it's a mar- uh, it's a marathon. So it's 100 and it's 26.2 miles run. It's a two and a half mile swim and it's 110.3 miles or something like that bike ride. So yeah, it, here in Costa Rica, they do it and they do it like next on the beach and they then jump yep. to do bicycle in the mountain. So it's really mm-hmm. crazy. So it's not yep. like it's hardcore, hardcore, definitely. It is no joke. And yeah, it's funny too, because one of my neighbors did, did it. And uh, yeah, he weighs about 60 or 70 pounds less than I do. <laughs> and I, I'm just imagining, yeah, I, yeah, I'm definitely going to have to drop a few more pounds in order to be able to drag myself all over the place like that. But uh, I figured that marathon was a good place to kind of get back into shape for it. So I'm planning on doing that. I think after I do that, I'll probably do a half Ironman, which is about 70 miles. And then we'll kind of see where things are sitting there and then kind of finish out the training. But the nice thing is, is with training peaks and they have the, they have the iPhone app too, right? And so the, the apps just talk to each other, the iPhone app for training peaks and the iPhone app for the Garmin. And then you just sync via Bluetooth to your, to your watch. The nice thing is, is that you can get a training program for, for the Ironman stuff too, right? And so I can go online and I can find an Ironman 70.3, which is the half Ironman race that I want to go run, right? And then once I have that date, then I can go find a training program that gets me to ready about on that date. And so then what I do is I go in and I put the training program in and then I tell training peaks when the race is. And it'll actually adjust the training program as long as I'm close so that I'm ready when it's time to go. And then, and then I just have to follow the program, right? And so it's like, go swim this day, go run this day, go bike this day, right? And I, I got, I mean, I've, I've had to spend some money, right? Because I have a, a, a running power meter. I've got a biking power meter that I've got to put on my bike. And then, you know, swimming is just swimming. And yeah, you just get in and you do the work. But uh, anyway, I've, I've really been getting into the training and really enjoying it. And then, yeah, so, so those are kind of the tools of the trade there. And then the last thing that I'm going to pick, so I am diabetic. And so it's, I've been getting into the keto diet. I've kind of done oh. keto off and on for a while. But the thing about keto is, is that, so if you're diabetic, your issue is controlling your blood sugar. And so the nice thing about the keto diet is since you're not eating carbs or not eating very many carbs, because everything has some carbs in it, even meat has some carbs in it, right? Just not very many uh, carbohydrates. 
So because you're not eating very many carbohydrates, you're not dealing with the fluctuations in your blood sugar, which is the problem for diabetics. And I feel a ton better when I'm sticking to it. One of the things that I've been buying that I've really been loving that has helped me out a lot is the Built Bar. And it's funny because I started buying them and then they they moved their factory and they moved it right next to my kid's school. <laughs> and so I didn't realize it, but they're a local company and they taste like candy bars. I know they have sugar substitutes in it. Some keto purists are like no sugar substitutes, but for the most part, I mean, they taste terrific. If I just need a treat, I just eat one and I'm just like, all right, I had a goodie. But for the most part, then, you know, I can go back to eating the, the, the meats and the eggs and the, the fatty stuff, the nuts, the cheeses, all that good stuff. And it, it's, it's really, really good. So I'm going to shout out about that. I have a whole bunch of picks for keto stuff. I'll probably wind up picking that over the next while, but, but those are my picks there. So that anyway, nice. Yeah. Okay. How about you? You got stuff to shout out about? Yeah, I got mine. So it's way different than yours, but That's it's kind of the it. same. It's kind of in the same. So, okay. So I, I, I didn't exercise much. So I, I need to start from the very scratch. And I found this app that is called From Couch to 5K. Mm-hmm. It's literally like from doing nothing until yep. they put you in a, in, a, in a training that you get to 5K. Yep. So I started doing that. And it took me like a month and a half, two yep. times a day. So and it worked great. For me, 5, 5K right now is like pretty good. I feel way better now. I really recommend it. It just, I don't know if it's an Android version of it, but it's an iOS version. And what it basically, what it does is based on the time you put into it, they said, okay, start walking, I don't know, two minutes and then run one minute and then two minutes, one minute. And then the next day, okay, now do the other way around, run two minutes, walk one minute. And that's, and then it goes up, up, up in the intensity at the point that you just run 5k, you know, go through 5k in just one. Really nice. Really, really nice. And the other thing I'm going to pick is Wise Lock. Wise Lock is this smart lock. I recently buy one. Is the Wise Lock is the cheapest lock that I can find, but I really like Wise the brand. I have mm-hmm. cameras and locks and all the little things, and I just put it in the in the main door of my on my house, and it works really nice. It was super easy to install. The app works perfectly, and I'm trying to build, I built a Node.js library on official API because I need to do some some experiments with it because my mom owns mini markets here in Costa Rica and Mm -hmm. with the COVID, pretty much all of them got closed. So we're trying this idea of having like mini markets without employees. Oh, interesting. yeah, so my my genius idea is basically do Amazon Go in the third world, basically. So the idea behind it is people will get into the front door of the store. Store will work. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're not going to be in the street. They're going to be inside residence, right? And they just hit a button in their phone. That will be an app that I'm writing. That mm-hmm. will check if the user lives in the condo. It will open the door. The, it will set up the POS system ready with the person that just opened the door to make sure that when they get the invoice is on their name and they can just pick their things, barcode scan it and just place their credit card and good to go. Then the door will be closed nice. automatically. So that's kind of the idea that I'm working right now. And WiseLog is helping me a lot with that. I was able to sniff 
the request and uh -huh. just replicate it in Node.js. So don't tell <laughs> <you>. <laughs> Nice. What tool are you using to sniff the request? I use Charles. Charles, such a good yeah. tool. I've used that. Charles is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Charles is amazing. It's really good nice. Stuff. Yeah. Anything named Charles has to be awesome, right? <laughs> Probably. Yeah, yeah, this is where I reach back and pat myself on the back. Anyway. They, 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 I didn't know. I use them I use them like since 2013. But they recently, well, I don't know how recently, but they now they have an iOS app. I oh, didn't really? know that. Yeah, so before you have to proxy your phone to your computer. Yes, I've and done that do all the sniffing there. And, and then if you have to do SSL certificate, it was not, blah, blah, blah. Now they have an iOS app, which kind of, I was like surprised that Apple accept that, but I don't know. Apple is just weird. So basically, you have the exact same experience on the on the app that you have in the desktop. So I was able to just sniff the thing around and check it out, the, the requests, the headers, and everything. Mm -hmm. And I just put up a, a small node library that I'm able to just lock and unlock the the phone. That nah, sorry, the the lock. Nice, very nice. Yeah, Charles is super handy. I didn't know they had an iOS app. That's that's got to be nice too, because it is super nice. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Well, if people want to connect with you, Freddie, where do they find you online? I'm mostly on Twitter. My Twitter handle is F Montes, like Freddie Montes, just the F Montes. Mm -hmm. I tweet in Spanish, but if I get, you know, questions in English, I will be more than happy to answer them. I share tips about design, web design, and, and web development all the time on Spanish. I was doing that in English, but then I realized that there are so many content in English and people here in Latin America is trying to learn web development and programming, mm -hmm. but language is a big barrier here. I honestly thought that that was in the past, but no, mm -hmm. there's still people struggling to learn English. So for me to try to help them, it's like, okay, I'm going to try to share some content in Spanish. And it's been really good. So I'm always there. And also on Instagram, same, at fmontes. And on GitHub, basically everywhere on F Montes, everywhere. Nice. Yeah, I have a really good friend that he was in the Ruby community, but he was seeing the same thing. A lot of people, English was just not cutting it for him for for whatever reason, you know, whether it was specific knowledge or specific language, they just didn't speak it well enough or whatever. Yeah. And so he was putting out Ruby content in Spanish and people were just eating it up like crazy because it was it was something that they could consume that was natural for them. And so, yeah, we definitely need more of that out there for people who don't speak English. Yeah, Free Code can recently translate the whole site in Spanish. So all the programs oh, wow. are in Spanish now. Yeah, that's amazing. There's a very... That is amazing. Thing. Yeah. All right, cool. Well, let's go ahead and wrap up here. Thanks for coming. This was terrific conversation and hopefully some folks go check out Component Store and see what it has to offer for them. And folks, until next time, max out. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.